Good day and welcome to our fourth episode of the Frontline Chatter podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with my co-host Andy Morgan and today we are happy to have Harry Labana, uh, VMware VP of, of EUC, um, formerly of Cloud Volume, Citrix, AppSense, you know, uh, a very good history he's had um, in, in the space. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining us today, Harry. No, um, it's uh, great, to, great to be on the show, and uh, thanks for having me. Okay, so yeah, as a Jerry pointed out, we're we're very uh, we're very excited to have you on, Harry. Um, particularly with your with your newest role and, and the newest acquisition that happened. So the the industry has been a buzz with uh, with VMware's EUC kind of um, f- uh, you know um, feet or leaps and bounds that it's made in, in the last couple of months. So the, the ability to talk to you now, as everything is so fresh and so hot, is is great. So uh, thanks for coming along. So kicking things, so kicking things off with with Harry here. So kind kind of tell us, you know, talk about, um, you know, what you've been going on with uh, with VMware lately. You know, com- congratulations on the acquisition of of Cloud Volumes joining the EUC family. Um, you know, we're looking forward to the integration into the stack. And you know, like like Andy was saying, you know, VMware has has made some pretty aggressive moves to kind of um, shore up their their EUC side. So um, again, congrats. And uh, you know, we've had some good success testing it from the, the testing we have done. Okay, great. <laughs> so, um, you know, since you've, since you've joined VMware and stuff, and we, we've kind of seen the acquisition there, um, you know, so let, let's, let's, let's kind of go back in history, that, that kind of stuff. So kind of tell us, you know, some of your history and, and how you got started. Um, you know, you're, you're very known in the industry, but not everyone may know um, your journey to where you are today. God. All right. So I mean, I guess where do I start when I, when I was born? <laughs> right. So um, I guess a quick... Yeah. <laughs> A quick background. So I was born in uh, in kind of in, in London, West London. So I grew up there, um, did my schooling um, in Manchester, England, um, and then uh, kind of like in ninety, early ninety six, uh, no mid ninety six, uh, I came on vacation um, to New York, um, loved it, uh, ended up staying. Um, you know, after kind of you know after college, I'd worked for a couple of years in, in London, but then uh, you know I stayed in New York, and then I did kind of a, a long run, kind of. On Wall Street, really from '96 till about 2007, uh, sorry, 2009 or seven. Um, basically, you know, I was doing infrastructure consulting. I was a software developer, a program manager, all sorts of things. Worked at a lot of the big name firms. You know, nine of those years were with Goldman Sachs, where I ran a lot of the virtual desktop infrastructure and, and other engineering efforts uh, in the Windows world. And long story short, uh, that kind of led me to, uh, to Citrix to become the CTO there. And um, and I had a great couple of years there. Really enjoyed it there, and and really to just to be honest, I I loved the company. I loved what I was doing, but I kind of wanted to get back uh, into a much more an execution focused role, and as opposed to being just you know a CTO. And CTO is a great role, but a CTO doesn't always have to deal with the day to day execution. And uh, I kind of enjoy those kind of roles. And um, you know, I ended up back uh, then. I joined AppSense uh, with my former kind of firm, Goldman, investing some money there. Um, so, you know, I kind of had an absence, I did kind of the product management thing, did the CTO thing, you know, we expanded that business, we did things and, you know, long story short there, um, you know, that wasn't for me, you know, in terms of the direction where that was going. Um, so I decided to, you know, basically mutually uh, move on from there. Um, and then kind of, you know, after that, I kind of um, took a kind of a step back in, in my career in terms of reflecting on what I really wanted to do. Because uh, I'd learned, you know, a bunch of things on the vendor side, spent many, many years as a customer. Um, doing this stuff in the real world, so you know, I looked at, uh, did some consulting. I uh, actually, I did a mobile startup, right, which was a stealth mobile startup, which was about securing native email using a kind of reverse proxy networking 
technology on iOS devices, and we'd figured out a way to do that, and um, and that kind of went nowhere. Um, the many lessons learned on how not to do a startup there. So that was a good learning experience for me in terms of doing something from from scratch. And, uh, so I was still living in New York, and then you know, the more I kind of spent time, kind of kind of you know searching, you know, what was the next thing I wanted to do. It became clear to me that you know California was where um, a lot of the enterprise startups that were in my sphere of interest uh, were being formed, um, and I was like, well, okay, let me figure out a way to get back to to California, right? Or not get back to to get to California and just live there. So initially, you know, nothing really made sense. You know, I didn't really want to go take a big corporate job, although I did look for a couple of corporate jobs in California for a while. Um, and I ended up actually back at a hedge fund in, in Connecticut, the uh, largest hedge fund in the world there. And, uh, you know, over there again, when I went back, the kind of the big realization for me was that, you know, despite all this stuff that we do as kind of, you know, CTOs and people on the vendor side, that things were still pretty, they were messed up in end user computing, right? We were still mucking around with apps and settings and Windows images and Windows 7 and it was complete for a little bit. Um, you know, that was, you know, good to kind of go back and reflect where I'd come back, where I'd come from, my roots effectively. And I said, look, let's go fix some of these problems. And, you know, when I searched, I'd seen a lot of startups, but I really wanted to see is that let's find a way to solve the problems that I know that need solving, right? Because sometimes I get frustrated that, you know, every future technology is about something that's going to happen in five to six to seven years. And I'm like, well, you know, reality perspective, the problems are right now, right here today. And we need to fix those if we want to build any credibility to move to the next generation of platforms. So that's kind of you know how I you know came across Cloud Volumes and had known the Cloud Volumes guys since since the very early days you know, when they were looking for funding. I was actually at Citrix still um, and kept in touch and uh, you know we spoke. I did a little bit of consulting for them initially and they just decided that hey you know what this is, I'm going to kind of make the bet and go. And then um, you know earlier this uh, early kind of mid 2014 um, kind of made the leap, um, moved out uh, to, to the West Coast. As the chief product officer there, and um, and then literally kind of you know weeks after I, I joined, um, you know VMware, um, you know started to uh, you know I guess call us, caught us. You know we'd had various discussions with other folks as well. But long story short, that kind of led to the acquisition in in, uh, in August, and uh, it's kind of been a wild ride since, right? So I'm really kind of grateful one that I'm kind of back in an execution role, which is um, for me is uh, what I like to do, and it's really good to kind of. Um, be fixing problems that I think need to, uh, you know, they need to be fixed in the industry. So, so I'm very excited, um, you know, learning a lot and uh, obviously, you know, working at a former competitor is always an adjustment, but uh, the VMware team has been great and I think uh, it's a very different VMware. So, very excited to be here. Awesome. I mean, that that is a that is a roller coaster of a of a, a career history, Harry. I have to say, you've, you've pretty every seat from you know engineer upwards throughout your career path, and you've you've uh, you've you've taken jobs that you may not have wanted, and you've you've moved on. You've learned. It's uh, it's it's a truly impressive uh, resume, if, if if you don't mind me saying. Um, and I, I particularly loved the, the comment you made about you know you were you were working at CTO, but the way you were describing yourself, you, you seem like the kind of the guy who, who wants to stay deeply technical and roll the sleeves up. Um, as opposed to just kind of sitting up in the ivory tower and looking down, and I think that that translates well to to a lot of us in the community. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think so. I mean, what I would say is my interests have become broader, right? So I mean, I started off as, as a VLSI, you know, as a chip designer, right? Where, you know, that's what I was as a by engineering, you know, by training, and then you know, as a software developer for a while, and then I moved into all sorts of roles. And I think for me, what's you know become you know, very interesting over the years. I mean, working at Wall Street banks 
one of the things you get is, um, I've always said to people, you become artificially smart because you meet every single startup on the planet. So for me, it was always exciting to meet these really smart entrepreneurs coming in and selling us their various wares and just seeing how they think. So I've always been interested in the business aspect as well as the execution and really kind of being at that intersection of being technical enough. Like, you know, I wouldn't say I'm as technical as I used to be, right? Because of just, that's just the nature of my role. But, you know, I love technology. I like to get my hands dirty. I like to know what's going on under the covers. And then really, I like to connect the dots to say, well, you know, how is that going to be used to solve real problems? And that's something, uh, you know, I use my own personal experiences and instinct to kind of figure out you know, uh, what matters in the market. And uh, again, like I said, right, the, the other thing is you get kind of older and wiser, you become more grateful for the opportunities that you have because you realize what the other opportunities are outside and how they compare and contrast. Yeah, and, and I, I agree, you know, again, again, it's good to have that, that broad experience and, you know, you come with, you know, user experience with, with different companies and in different positions and, and most recently on, on the VMware side, um, you know, you guys being the acquisition before the most recent one. Um, what are your thoughts on on the Emedio acquisition and how it's going to fit in? Kind of um, talk about um, you know, kind of the I mean, the vision there with with App Volumes and and Emedio kind of working together inside the, the the suite there of VMware products. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I can talk a lot about that because <laughs> that that folder dropped on my desk in day two when I when I joined VMware, and obviously VMware was looking at. UEM as a space, UEM, User Environment Management, um, before my time. And you can see, you know, Kit Colbert's uh, blogs in UEM you know, before the App Volumes acquisition. Um, so, you know, my view on it was, you know, that, you know, UEM, you know, there's, there's lots of great vendors out there, right? Lots of great companies, you know, AppSense, Rares, and, and so on and so forth, right? And um, my view was, you know, uh, really two questions, right? Are we going to kind of go into become this huge suite of UEM um, capabilities or are we going to do something different and I just go back to kind of what I've learned over the years and my view was that look at the end of the day I think what customers want to solve is that they are increasingly having a more diverse um, infrastructure right so they've got their physical PCs they've got their virtual environment you know RDSH VDI etc and then you know when moving forward you know cloud you can argue DAS or whatever you want right but there's really those three pillars in my mind, the kind of the physical, the virtual, and the cloud. And <clears throat> what that results in is that when I talk to a lot of my kind of former colleagues on Wall Street, I mean, what they tell me is that, look, you know, the cloud thing, um, the security stuff is there, but they're gradually getting more comfortable with that, and they're finding ways to solve that. And the, the thing is, though, that the it, that's not what kills um, a lot of projects um, in big enterprises. It's really running the plant, right? It's the number of people you need in operations, is change management, configuration management. Um, and yes, there's been labor arbitrage, right, in terms of outsourcing jobs um, to, to different parts of the world. Yes, there's been more automation. But fundamentally, you know, I think what happens is that these different silos form in the organization. And everyone's kind of, from, at least from my vantage point, is struggling to say, well, how do we reconcile all of this? Because, you know, we have flat budgets. And what happens is you know, vendor X can come in with whatever widget that they have. And really what that widget means is that we have to up our operational cost, right, in order to run it. So the question you always get, well, what can we take out? What can we stop doing in order to kind of bring real value here? And really kind of the value that 
um, from, from my point of view, is that we have to try and provide more consistent management solutions across our Windows infrastructure. Right? Let's just scope it to Windows infrastructure for a second. So you've got your physical PCs, your virtual environment, and your cloud environment. And within that, you know, the, that's a big statement, and we really kind of have to say, well, let's kind of segment that into where are the real pain points, right? Because when people make statements about, hey, let's improve desktop management, those are big, bold statements, and there's a lot of incumbent technologies. But where's the real pain point? And my experience has always been, especially in my most recent hedge fund experience, is that uh, you know, there are a ton of people who do things like application packaging, distribution, configuration of the environment, right, and just managing all the infrastructure to support it. Um, so <clears throat> you know, th this is why I kind of... When we looked at app volumes, app volumes was very kind of apps was where the cost was. So app volumes is very focused on kind of going after and simplifying kind of application delivery and the life cycle of applications. But in order to make that application story richer, we've got to have more environment and contextual settings and kind of all of the UEM type settings. But if we build something like that to be consistent across these environments, we can't go and kill the operation cost of, of the company either and give them six different ways to do things. So really for, for us is to say, well, you know, let's formulate a new strat strategy, which is what we're calling WEM, is the kind of the, the, the three-letter acronym, which is Workspace Environment Management. And to say, well, can we build this new horizontal management that starts to solve the real pain points in this heterogeneous world? And those capabilities are, you know, capabilities around applications, so things like app volumes and thin app are part of that. Um, what are the capabilities that we need around kind of personalization, user environment settings, application configuration, um, and how do we make that more dynamic and contextual? And that's where media fits in, right? And because then I can go into you know why a media in, in particular. But then we kind of think about it as a kind of a closed loop management um, cycle as well to say, well, great, you can now deploy apps and you can do these different kinds of settings and personalization across these different environments. But then how do you kind of monitor and give good visibility into that? in a way that's kind of uh, differentiated and gives you an end-to-end -end view of your infrastructure. And that's why we're kind of, um, you know, thinking about WEM as also part of kind of the, our vRealize Ops um, technology as well being expanded uh, for more use cases. So, you know, to kind of sum that up, right? It's really about let's provide very practical, right, consistency of management across these different environments. And that's kind of the, the, the thinking behind our strategy, and that's kind of what led to um, the uh, media being chosen as, as the piece that we needed to fill, as opposed to other people. Yeah, because you, you also look at the infrastructure, too, because it, it's not as much infrastructure like, like some of the other products looking at the media product line. So, you know, it was probably something also being able to bring that in and put that into the stack would, would be a lot simpler option than, than some of the other options out there on the market. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's. So I think there are a couple of things I would say with the media, right? So um, I, I agree with the simplicity, right? So there's the hey, it's simple to integrate, um, fits very close to kind of the app volumes design philosophy as well, which also is you know next to nil or very little infrastructure. Um, and the second piece was just proof points of hey, is the technology robust? Because you know, just kind of put yourself in our shoes for a second, right? Do, do you go buy you know vendor A or do you buy vendor B? And if you're going to buy, and it's really there's two camps. Do you buy a big Big vendor, do you buy a small vendor? And if you're going to be in the small camp, right, there's always the, huh, did we buy too small and didn't, did it have enough capabilities? So what are the um, proof points? And with the media kind of, you know, again, it came from the Flex Profile technology. So it's a kind of well-known, um, well-proven kind of method of, of solving this problem. Um, and then, you know, and then from there, um, you know, several hundred customers and then, you know, having 
production deployed customers that are 100,000 seats plus, then that gave us just a much higher level of confidence. And then add to that our own internal you know, performance testing of it and how easy it was to configure and how easy it is to operate. That just kind of fit with what we were trying to do and because we really wanted to simplify IT. And uh, so they just really, really fit with the DNA and our strategy, what we were trying to do. Yeah, and I, I agree, you know, having that simplicity and, and fitting in because that, that's going to be key to integrating instead of having to kind of buy something that really doesn't fit in well off the bat and kind of shoehorn that technology in, into the stack. So, you know, you're, you know, makes a lot of sense why a because I know a lot of uh, folks thought it, it was going to be liquidware um, for a while, too, just because of the history there with, 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 with the company and some of the people that, that work there. So, yeah, yeah, I, mean, look, these are I know I am. Um, sorry, I, I was just going to say, I, I just, I just congratulate you, or, you know, yourself and VMware on making that decision. I've been saying this amount of time that Citrix and, and Microsoft really need to do something in the space to simplify the, the whole kind of user environment management uh, layer. Um, the longer do they have the decision of which platform they're going to use, which hardware, which uh, delivery layer, and then what virtualization for users they're going to put on top. You guys are building a you know complete stack and a complete vision around that. So, yeah, just, just to echo what you said, I've been nodding my head all the way through what you've been saying as far as you know the, the, the many facets that this is going to deliver for you guys. So, yeah, I think it was a it was a bold and brilliant move, and I'm really curious to see what your competitors are going to do about it. Yeah, I mean, look, so there's always competition, right? So, and I think competition is good. And I, and my view is this: it's very simple, right? So, we're going to continue to partner with people who want to partner with us, and but at the same time, you know, I'm going to continue to focus, you know, my team on problems for customers, right? Because that's what we do, right? And just where I've come from, it's. You solve the problem for the customer or you don't matter. The competition doesn't matter. It, the, the customers will decide based on who solves the problem best. And, and I think you know, competitors will evolve. They'll, have, they'll do different things, right? So, I mean, I'll give you an example, right? You can go to the airport. There's a Hertz and there's an Avis right next to each other. There's a reason. Right? They attract different kinds of customers. So, for me, it's very much focused on you know, enterprise customers who want to simplify their environment and want to go on a journey with us to kind of take things to to the next level because you know having been you know be, been participated in a lot of the community debates right um, over the years uh, i also see it as kind of a, a privilege frankly to, to be in a position to be able to fix a lot of the problems that people yell about so um you know i want to go fix some more problems exactly and um you know kind of, kind of moving on to some of the other the splashes that the vmware has made um project fargo i, I know this has kind of been you know a very exciting announcement i know andy for one has been very excited about it. So I'll kind of let Andy kind of kind of talk about his, his thoughts on that. So yeah, Project Fargo is, uh, to be honest, I, I was so excited about this idea. It's, it, it's, it's visionary. Um, it, it's, you know, the idea of being able to live fork a VM and spin up VMs on top of that is, is you know, it's, it's groundbreaking, it's clever. And um, I really want to try to press you for some information. I'd like to know what the direction of this of this uh, of, of this project is, and kind of when we might see something come out of it. Or, you know. Okay, so Sandy, you just broke up there a little bit, but I, I'm just going to repeat the question. You can tell me yes or no, but you wanted to know a little bit about Fargo, uh, what the direction was, and um, uh, and kind of where we pretend, potentially can uh, plan to take it. Was that correct? Yeah, correct. Okay, I mean, so look, so Fargo is kind of. Um, and the code name for the kind of the VM fork technology um, that we talked about at, at VMworld last year, and it's really kind of a you know, an in-memory clone of, of a running uh, VM instance, and that we can basically a second or so. 
Um, so here's what I would say, right? So um, there's a couple of capabilities, a couple of pieces of, of the pie, as they, as they say, the VM fork piece. That's what Fargo is, right? And that's actually been released already as um, instant clone. So if you look in the vSphere 6 announcements from a week or two, or two weeks ago, whatever it was, um, that's now available in shipping. So now what that that means is that uh, you know our teams have now access to that GA quality code, and we start to then um, not worry about necessarily Project Fargo. We start worrying about Project Meteor, right? Where Project Meteor is about well, how do we take something like um, this kind of uh, this hot cloning technology and add other pieces to it so you can build a fully uh, kind of dynamic desktop environment. Um, and that's things like app volumes, things like, um, you know, uh, Emilio, enabling it in the DAS platform, so on and so forth. Um, and those, you know, those pieces get built and integrated and tested and scaled and all of that stuff. So that's an active thread. It's very important. So I, I guess from a timing perspective, um, well, so, you know, VM, vSphere is, is out now. Um, so I would suspect something, you know, later this year is that you will start to see kind of how we're going to bring that to market. So, I mean, what I can tell you, it's an active project right now and um, you'll see that grow. Um, but I mean the other thing also I think you know right now I think we're only kind of scratching the surface of how we could exploit that technology as well because I think all sorts of interesting things start to happen um, when we start to combine app volumes with uh, VM forking for Project Meteor right we can start to do all sorts of interesting things with potentially writable volumes in the future we, we can do all sorts of interesting things when we understand the machine state um, there's a lot of ideas that we have, and, and I think, it's, I mean, initially just let's get the technology out, let's bake it, let's ship it, let's make sure it performs at a certain level, let's make sure it's stable at the quality that VMware would want to, uh, you know, ship it at. And then from there, once that's baked, I think many, many possibilities exist. And I think in a DAS environment, it's pretty good. In a, in a, in a DR environment, it's, it's pretty good, right? Um, and I think then the, the community will tell us. I think for now, the focus is let's get the capability out and, uh, and let's start to reveal that to you guys um, over, the, over the course of this year. So, I mean, if I had more accurate than that, I would tell you, I mean, right now, like I said, it's, it's an active project, right, with lots of moving parts. So, I mean, we haven't uh, confirmed any dates publicly right now, but, you know, we have milestones along the way which will, which will start to tease out into the market. Yeah, def definitely. It's, it's, it's an interesting technology, and I, like, like, I agree, we're just scratching the surface of what, what you guys are going to do with it. So, it's going to be very... <clears throat> very interesting to see, you know, you know where that starts and and where that in, ends up because I think you guys can do a lot of things with with that technology. Um, any your thoughts on that, Andy, or anything like that? Because I, I know again, Andy has been very excited for Project Fargo. Fargo is uh, is very is very interesting to me because I, I just you know I really like the whole idea of the delivery model. Um, and you've given me a lot of food for thought in, in what you in what you kind of just told us there. And there is a lot more that you can do. With this. You're only scratching the surface. So yeah, I'm I'm waiting to see this because I, I I think it's revolutionary for for deployment. If that's fair to say. Yeah, and, and I think to be honest with you, I mean this whole kind of debate we've had in in the community for for years now about kind of persistent versus non-persistent. So I think. You know, we have to start moving beyond that because, you know, many years ago, I was a staunch advocate of doing kind of persistent desktops, right? Um, but I believe, right, and I've written about this before I even joined Cloud Volumes, right? I even showed how Cloud Volumes and the Medio and Atlantis at the time, I wrote a blog on Brian Madden's um, website um, on how these should be brought together given modern technologies in terms of, um, you know, how things can start to evolve. And I think, you know, we kind of have to get out of this group think, well, you know, this is how we did it in the old world. Well, well, why? And is that the model to sustain us? 
uh, moving forward because you know as things become more automated more cloud-centric um, to me it's all about being able to uh, have IT respond to business needs faster. And to do that, we need new kinds of architecture. And we kind of have to, you know, yes, we have constraints from the past, but let's let's understand the constraints and let's kind of start to chip away at those constraints as opposed to kind of get into these, um, I would say, you know, circular debates about, you know, one golden approach versus another. I don't think it really matters. I think it's about, are you actually solving problems and delivering real value? And uh, those architectures, customers, I think, will, will gravitate towards yeah, I mean, the, not, the persistent and non-persistent thing um, it w raged for years, as you pointed out. I, I do think it's becoming much less of an issue as, as uh, hardware and infrastructure catches up. Um, I mean, ZenApp, looking at when VDI became a reality or even a technology, uh, the, the requirement to, to run VDI en masse for persistent, it, it, it was just, it was mind-numbingly expensive. So the, the people gravitated towards non-persistent and used layering technologies and all that kind of stuff in order to, to aid and abet that. But I mean, looking at the, the VMware stack, for argument's sake, now with Evo Rail, with vSAN, with everything else, persistence is becoming a lot more of a, of a realistic target. And uh, I think that conversation is finally going to be put to bed in the coming years. Well, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's a sliding scale, right? There's many more use cases can be addressed. And I think that's the that's the real point, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's key because um, with the, the changes of technology and, and the things that um, that are happening in the space, you know that uh, that that is key to you know enabling more use cases. Where in the past, because of limitations and in the way products were, it you know they're lower use cases than we have possibility of today. So. Um, you know, one one thing you guys have been you know super aggressive in in the EU in the EUC space in the past eighteen months. So you know you know acquisition standpoint, uh, talent, um, you know closing the feature parity between you know competition and, and so forth. So you know it, it's been very exciting times for VMware, and we'd like to congratulate you guys on that because you know you guys definitely are um, you know dr driving the needle in in, in the space. It's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, I particularly like I particularly like VMware's approach in the sense that you're not just chasing VM solutions and ideas that the competition aren't doing. So not only are you you kind of closing that feature parity gap, you're also bringing in solutions at the vendor that your competition has to close as far as a feature gap or a parity view. Um, yeah. with, with that in mind, I mean, if you were to if you were to look down the road for eighteen months, could you tell me what what um, what should we be watching out for that you, that you guys are going to do? Yeah, what, what, what's the what, what's Harry's crystal ball? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, so I guess I guess I'd answer that question a couple of ways, right? So, so I think the first thing is I think is over the next eighteen months, I think it's important to understand our point of view on what the desktop is, and we see kind of the desktop as three strategic pieces, right? So, one is I think this whole idea of convergent infrastructure, right? So. So, you know, in our case, that's going to be a lot of the, the Evo Rail, Evo Racks kind of types of things that we're doing. But we really think that's going to go attack a lot of the cost economic capex problems that we've had um, around desktop virtualization um, over the years. And then I think that the middle tier, right, and just think of that as the kind of the horizon grid, for lack of a better term right now. But that's all of our kind of different delivery models, right? So that's the Horizon 6, which covers RDSH and it covers VDI, the Horizon Flex for some of the kind of BYOD use cases. And all of those things, I think that, you know, modes of distribution, the different use cases that we can handle. And <clears throat> I think what it also does is it starts to kind of really 
um, uh, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. But but it really starts to kind of you know, make our portfolio better there in terms of capabilities that we'll add. But um, you know, on top of that, this is this this web layer, right? This is, think of this as a management layer on top of that. So and that will start to drive consistency across these different grid architectures, whether these are physical grid architectures, virtual grid architectures, or cloud grid architectures sitting on converged infrastructure. Right? They have to be managed consistently at the top. So that's going to kind of be our point of view, right? And then as we kind of start to think about, well, what does that really mean in terms of the bigger picture of EEC, right? So certainly just from a management perspective, we see kind of silos, right? We want to start to help organizations break down silos so we can have a more holistic view of how you deliver workspace delivery solutions across desktop and mobile, right? That includes AirWatch. Um, we think that as you deploy these textures to different data centers, right, and so that's on-premises or off-premises data centers, we think the thing that unifies a lot of these uh, different architectures is identity. So I think you, you should expect us to start to do a single sign, simplifying that kind of admin experience and user access experience um, just to kind of enable the overall hybridity um, of, the, of, of kind of our cloud um, architecture. Um, I think you'll see us Kind of, you know, simplify how you deploy our infrastructure. And there'll be things that we do that will make it much, much easier to kind of support uh, the whole convergence uh, play that we have. Um, I think on the mobile side, I think you'll start to see us start to think more about kind of how EMM evolves and start to do more things with IoT, right? So we thought about, you know, like partnerships we announced, like the companies like Jasper last year, how, you know, those things evolve and what's the future of EMM and how does EMM converge with desktop in the future because we, we see more convergence happening at customers. Um, and then things like content collaboration, right? So, you know, yes, you can have data. Yes, you can have access to that data, but does, do things like data need to become more social? Do they need to become those things that we should be thinking about? So these are kind of the, I would say, the kind of the macro themes um, that, that's the level I'll kind of share with you the, the detail right now. And within those, you'll start to see us, you know, as you know, obviously we have lots of ideas and experiments internally, and some of those, the best ones will come to market um, in, in those kind of broad buckets. Very, very nice, you know, very well put. That was a lot, lot of good, uh, lot of good information in your take of kind of, you know, what's, what's next and, and what's coming. So again, looking forward to, um, to, to what's uh, coming down, down the road and, and what, what you guys end up doing in the space, you know, between, EMM and, and, you know, desktop and app and just everything coming together um, into a single solution and getting rid of those different silos and also being able to have that holistic management as well. So, you know, kind of wrapping things up here because we, we're about 30, about 35 minutes in. So, you know, one question we'd like to ask everybody towards the end of our, our episodes is, you know, is there anything, you know, aside from EUC, any other product out there in, in the space, you know, a new product, a, a stealth vendor, something that you're kind of following or or watching closely um, out there? Um, so I haven't spent as much time in the last like three, four months as I normally do, but I mean, the things that I kind of find interesting right now that are happening out there, there's a number of these stealth vendors that are popping up around data security. I think the whole security market is all up in the air for grabs, right? So whether that's doing, you know, data analysis, doing threat prevention, uh, threat detection, threat response, all the different types of attack vectors, that's just a constant churn of, you know, investment, innovation, and, um, you know, and then, then the whole hacking thing. So I think that, that's a whole big area that um, I like to keep an eye on. I, I think, uh, you know, big data and analytics, right? So I think 
that's going to become, you know, how do we turn that into big information, right? So with the IoT, with all of these endpoint devices and EUC, how do you, I mean, is there a data play here, right? So what do you do with all that information that we're collecting? So yes, you know, people's vision is fair and monitoring and closed loop management, some of the things I talked about, but kind of beyond that, what are the kind of the next big ideas that we can actually provide true insight into the end user workspace experience? I think there's a lot of um, ideas to be exploited. Um, I think uh, this, I read a Gartner report uh, a while back and it talked about the concept of client cloud computing, which was really saying that with all of this compute power um, on mobile devices and laptops, I mean, why do all of this compute in the cloud? Why not kind of have a hybrid model between local compute and you know, cloud processed uh, data? Um, I think there's potentially a whole bunch of models that need to be mined there and kind of uh, keeping an eye out for startups in that space. Um, and then I think, you know, uh, you know, I've seen a social trading platform uh, recently, a couple of my friends invested in that, which was almost like a Facebook for trading. Right? So there's some crazy ideas like that. Um, but the kind of the, but the other big things, I think the two things that I think are going to be really interesting as kind of big trends, worldwide trends in my mind. So I think, you know, what is automation of jobs right, going to do um, to the labor markets, right? So you know, there's a lot more automation around this today, um, but can jobs be automated, right? And what does that mean for the types of jobs that are going to exist? And there's a whole area for kind of thinking and disruption there. And I think to kind of enable that, I think a lot of kind of AI and machine learning technologies out there, um, that's something I'm reading up nowadays in kind of my spare time to say, you know, what is, is AI going to be complementary and machine learning to complement the jobs that we do? So can we work in different ways using um, kind of automation and AI machine learning technologies. So, you know, so those are kind of interesting and obviously, you know, things like you know, 3D printing and robots and all that stuff, which I don't pay a lot of attention to, but I'm sure they'll be pretty disruptive as well. Yeah, that's a very, very nice, very nice take and very nice information of certain things that you're looking at, you know, the security, the data, the analytics and some of the AI stuff, so that, that's very interesting and something to definitely, you know, keep an eye on that space as well. The, 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 whole, um, the whole local cloud computing kind of reminds me of that folding initiative for cancer, doesn't it? The, the, the idea of kind of um, uh, loaning your CPU power in, in, in idle states to, to, to the greater good. I, I, hadn't, I've, I wasn't aware there were initiatives around that. That is fascinating, though, kind of taking the, the leaps and bounds that you're getting from hardware that's sitting there pretty much doing nothing and, and bringing it together to, to do compute. I definitely have to read up on that, Harry. Thank you. You've, uh, you've given me something to think about. Yeah, it's cheap <laughs> on your devices, right? So all this cheap compute on your devices, why don't we leverage it? Yeah, there were some, some, some products out there doing that. So, yeah, yeah, why not? Absolutely. So, um, thank you, Harry, for joining us today. You know, um, really great uh, episode, uh, episode four with us. Um, really enjoyed the the chat, and, and thank you again um, for your time today. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, again, congrats on the acquisition. Congrats on you know what what you guys are are doing in the space, and we look forward um, to, to 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 the future and, and what's in store. So, um, closing out from our session, um, I'm Jaron Gibson with my co-host Andy Morgan. This was uh, Frontline Chatter Episode 4, um, and stay tuned and, and look forward to our next one. Thank you, Harry. Thank you. Thanks, Harry.